Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. Well, I need to start off by apologizing for the <clears throat> inappropriate comment made at the end of that uh, announcement video. Stephen, uh, you know, you should know if you're a first-time guest with us that that's actually his wife, so uh, it's perfectly fine. Um, I know you may have heard a rumor about something going on between the uh, worship pastor and the office administrator, but <clears throat> they have a license, so that's, I guess, it's it's okay. The worst, though, is for Pastor Grant and myself, because we have to put up with it during the week, the uh, public displays of affection, and it's just not, it's not good, so... <clears throat> I have a loud enough voice that I can talk without a microphone, so, <clears throat> all right. We, uh, we are in a series of messages, if you're, this is your first time here, uh, covering the book of Ephesians. Right now we have landed in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. This series of Ephesians is divided into three parts, sit, walk, stand. It's learning how to receive from God, learning how to walk in God, and then learning how to stand against the spiritual battles uh, that are coming our way. We have uh, covered the first uh, couple of chapters, two and a half chapters of the book of Ephesians, and we found ourselves last week in a series starting in chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, where we are learning to pray. And that's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about a prayer life. He is modeling prayer, and from his model of prayer, we learn how to pray. 
We're also combining this with what Jesus said in the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. The disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us, Lord, how to, or teach us to pray. They didn't say how to pray. They knew how to pray. They were Jewish. They knew what prayer was, ritualistic prayer, wrote, memorized prayer, what many of us grew up with. They knew how to, how to say a prayer, but they didn't have the heart of prayer. And Jesus was teaching them the heart behind what prayer is supposed to be. Now, what we looked at last week is that Paul started the prayer, and Jesus starts his teaching with prayer with the concept of adoration. When you come to God in prayer, your first approach is to bring adoration to God. It's why we do worship on a Sunday morning. Why do we worship here? Why do we sing songs of praise? Because we are here to adore God. I don't want you to have the heart and the attitude that worship is not important important or just stand thinking, when is this just going to get over with? You should be joining in with worship no matter what, because we are singing praises of adoration and worship to God. The word worship literally means the ascribing of worth to someone or something. And that is what we do to the almighty God. We want to adore him. We want to sing praises to him. And when we start a prayer, we want to begin with adoration because life is not about us. It's about him. He moves on, or we're going to move on today. I'm adding one that I didn't have last week, but we're going to move on to petition. And that's what Jesus teaches. You move on to petition, which is you bring your requests to God. So you adore him, and then you bring your requests to him. That's praying for your needs. That's what petition is. Then we move on to intercession. What intercession is, is the praying for other people. We intercede with God on behalf of other people. I would encourage you and challenge you to make a prayer list of people that you are praying for on their behalf before the Lord. Intercede. For them, we bring the requests of others. You're talking to God about other people's needs and other people's. purposes and what they're going through. Um, And we're going to talk about that today. And then he closes with this benediction, and benediction is another form of praise. So we have worship and praise of God, our requests, interceding for others, and then close it out with worship and praise again like a worship sandwich and a worship Oreo cookie to God. We are worshiping him asking for what we need, praying for others, worshiping him again. That's the picture and the model of how prayer works. We're going to start today and just read again the verses that we started with last week. It's Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus found in verses 14 through 21 of chapter 3. Let's read this and then we'll get into a word of prayer ourselves. Paul writes this, For this reason... Now, what is the reason he's talking about? That is what we have been talking about. The reason is he's broken down the wall of separation. There's no more separateness with God. All have access to him. Doesn't matter what you've gone through, how far you have fallen, how deep the pit is, you still have access to God. You have a way that you can have a relationship with him. You don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to jump through hoops Everyone has access to him. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. From him, every family in heaven and on earth receives its name. 
Paul says, I pray that from his glorious riches, he would grant you to be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. In Hebrew, that is the ruach. It is the wind or breath or spirit of God. So that Jesus, Messiah, may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul says, I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to grasp with all of the saints, the kedoshim, what is the width and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Jesus, the Messiah, which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far beyond all that we ask or imagine, by means of his power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church, the community of believers, and in Jesus the Christ, Messiah Yeshua, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray and get into this word today. Father, I pray that we would learn to adore you, to worship you from all of our heart, Lord, that we would praise you above all things. We are not the center of the universe. You are. We are not that important. You are. At the same time, Lord, you have given us access. You have made a way that we can approach you and have a relationship with you. You have broken down the barrier so that we can know you intimately. Thank you for that, Father. I pray, Lord, as we are learning to pray and following these models of prayer, that we would be motivated to want to pray and connect you with you in that way. Lord, as we study your word now, be with us. And through the things we're going to talk about today, I pray, Father, that you would bring conviction and surrender to our hearts. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul starts, and let's just recap last week what we had talked about. He starts this whole little section with the picture of what adoration, uh, adoration. And again, what is adoration that is bringing my praise upward to God? Getting the focus off of me and recognizing who God is. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. He is the Almighty God. He is the Creator. And I need to bring my worship and my praise and my adoration to Him. Anytime you start praying, bring that. Start with that. Start with the adoring of God in the beginning of your prayer. The worship of God. Paul starts it in this way. Paul says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. From him every family in heaven and on earth receives this name. That means God is the creator. Because of what God has done, because of who God is, I'm going to bow my knees before him. Now the word bow, the idea of bow is getting on my knees, whether it is literal or figurative, I am bowing my knees or bowing my heart before God. It's a picture of humility. It's a picture of surrender. Many of us live our lives focused entirely on ourselves. Everything needs to be about making us happy. The world needs to revolve around me. The family needs to revolve around me. The work needs to revolve around me. But God says, no, no, get that out of your mind and bow before me. Humble yourself and worship me. And that's how Paul starts. I bow before the Father. Jesus, when he was teaching the disciples to pray, said this, Our Father 
in heaven, hallowed or sanctified be your name. That's set apart, be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is worship. It is adoration. Now, in Jewish culture, in the time of Jesus, the Jewish people had no problem recognizing that God was creator. They had no problem recognizing God was the almighty God. Every prayer that the Jewish people would pray would often, most often, would start with these words. They would say, Baruch Atah Adonai Eliheinu Melech Alom. And that would mean, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. They had no problem with the worship. They recognized he was creator. He was the almighty God. And we need that. God is, is our friend. He is our father. But at the same time, he is the creator God, the almighty God. And we should have a reverence for him, a respect, a healthy fear of God is an okay thing to have. In fact, it's something we should have uh, within us. There's a balance, though, between God being the creator, the almighty, the, the everlasting, the king of kings. He has balanced it with saying, but I am also your father. And the idea of father is the Abba father. He is so close to you that you have access to him. He has a throne in a throne room. But you being his child have access into that throne room. You can come up to God with your requests, even in a figurative way, picture it this way, climbing up on the lap of God. You have that access. He is balanced, both creator, almighty, king of kings, and completely our father, our father, God. And we have access to that. In fact, it says in the book of Hebrews, therefore, let us draw near to the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help in time of need. In other words, God is not keeping you distant. He is letting you near. He is letting you come to him and you can come to him with boldness. So picture in your mind shows that you've seen where there is a throne room and a king sitting on a throne. Does everybody have access to that king? No. Most people are kept aside. Most people can't come into that throne room. And even the children, if you notice some of the TV shows, even the children have to have this healthy respect for king more than father. But that's not who God is. God has said you can come near with boldness. In other words, you can approach God with anything on your heart and he will help you. He will give you mercy and grace in your time of need. And that's the God we have. So we start with adoration. Now, today, we're going to move on to two parts. We're going to move on to petition. Jesus talks to us about now bringing your requests to God. After you've praised him, after you've worshipped him, after you realize it's his kingdom, not mine, it's his will, not mine, his name, not mine, I want to represent him well, but it's about him, not me, now we bring our petitions to him. Jesus said this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now give us this day our daily bread. You can bring your petitions to God after you've praised God. When you praise God, it helps reorient your life so that you are in right step with him. We can bring our needs to God, and that's what our daily bread is. Our daily bread is the things that we need to live life. You need food. You need shelter. 
You need finances. There are things that you need and God will provide. And you can bring your requests to God. One of the things that happens, though, is that people confuse wants and needs. You ever been there? Often I pray for what I want, not necessarily what I need. I need to be content with what I need, not be striving after what I want. What I want is maybe perhaps some of you a brand new fishing boat. Do you really need it? No, the one I have is fine. But I want that. But I can live with what I need. You understand that. I've taken up flying, as, as I've mentioned before. I really want an expensive plane. I, that's what I really want. Do I need that? Yes, I need that. It's a need that I have. I'm trying to convince my wife I need this. No, it's a want. Be content with what you need, not striving after what you want. Jesus says, pray for your daily bread. And it's okay because God will provide that. You know, in Jewish culture, there's a, there a, one of the most famous Psalms, Psalm 23, which talks about the Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want. He will provide and he'll lead me in all of the things that he does in Psalm 23. One of the things that the shepherd did was to lead the sheep to pasture. In our Western way of thinking, my idea of pasture are these wide open fields covering acre after acre after acre of grassland that is growing. And that's my idea of what a pasture would be. But in Jewish culture, that was not a pasture. In fact, in Jewish culture, those kind of fields had to be set aside for growth of food that they would need for society. That's not what they fed the sheep. In that culture... There was a shepherd that would watch over a flock of sheep. And every day, the shepherd would have to lead the sheep where they needed to go to find food that was just enough food for that day. Sometimes it was rocky places. Sometimes it was hills. Sometimes it was a mountainous area. The shepherd knew where to go in order to find enough food for that day. And the sheep, every day, had to trust that the shepherd had my best interest at heart and he was going to lead me for what I needed today. They could not see the future. They did not know what tomorrow was going to bring. They had to trust for today. In the same way, we trust God every day. God, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't know what the economy is going to do. I don't know what, what our society will do. I need to trust you today. And you'll provide today what I need. In fact, Matthew 6, 8 says that. Your father knows what you need, not what you want, but what you need before you ask him. I always think of this with my own children when I'm thinking of thoughts like this. And I just, I remember so many times going to the store or going uh, someplace with my kids and my kids would want something. I don't know if you parents have ever been there. You go to the store, I want this toy, I want this candy, I want this thing, and what do you often say if, you know, if you're a good parent anyway, what do you say? No, you don't need that. We say that. That's the same way God is with us. He will often say to us, no, you don't need that. You don't need that thing, that item, that purchase. You don't need it. Be content with what you need, and I will provide what you actually need. 
And that's petition. God says you can bring your request to me, bring your daily bread, pray for that daily bread, and I will take care of you. But you need to be content with what I provide and not be striving after all of these ridiculous things that you want. That's petition. Then Paul moves on and Jesus moves on to intercession. What is intercession? That is praying for other people. And Paul starts the idea with, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for others. And Paul gives us a model of what he's going to pray. Praying for others sometimes is the hardest thing to do. It's easy to worship God. He is worthy of our praise. We can recognize he's the creator. He's the almighty. He is our father. I can praise him. I can pray for myself really easy because I know what I need and what I, what I would like to see happen. And so I can, I can easily pray for myself. When I start to pray for others, that's when it moves the focus off of me and onto others in life. And it's a healthy perspective. It's sometimes hard to pray for them because we're so self-absorbed. But when we start praying for them, we start thinking of what others need beyond ourselves. So Paul is going to pray for intercession. Now, in this little section, he's going to have five things that he is going to pray for. We're only going to look at the first two today. We'll look at the next three next week. The first thing Paul prays is this. He prays for internal strength. Internal strength. Look at it again. Paul says this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father. He's the creator. Every family in heaven and on earth receives its name. Then Paul says, I pray that from his glorious riches, he would grant you to be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. What is Paul talking about? Well, he's talking about that God would strengthen you where it counts the most. Not that he would give you physical strength, not that he would provide physical necessities, that he would strengthen you in your heart. The inner being is the heart of a person. It is who you are at the core. It is what your, uh, it's, it's your spirit. It's what, how you are made alive when God comes into your heart. It is your heart, the core of you. And Paul is saying, I want you to be strengthened on the inside because that's really what matters. If your inside is strengthened, everything else will take care of itself. Many of us pray for God, strengthen me on the outside. Paul says, I'm going to pray that you get strong on the inside. He did not pray, let the persecution stop. He did not pray to say, make all of your problems go away. He didn't pray, may you be blessed with millions and millions of dollars. He prayed that your heart would be strong. Because if your heart is strong, you can face whatever you need to face. You can face a tough marriage. You can face grief. You can face persecution. You can face hard times at work. You can face all of it if your heart is strong in the Lord. And so, so Paul prays this, I pray that you would be strengthened in your inner being with power. The word power is the Greek word dunamis, and it's where we get our word dynamite from. That you would be strengthened with the dynamic power of God. And I've often talked about this metaphor, the metaphor of you being like a power tool, having a battery, and you lose your charge over time because you're, you're being used in the way that you live life. You're using your gifts and abilities, and you're re, you, you need recharged. And so where do you go to get recharged? The power bank. 
The power bank of God recharges you, strengthens you with power on the inside so that you can face anything that is necessary in life. Do you, do you know that God cares not really about you being comfortable. God cares about your heart. God is always focused in the Bible on the heart. He focuses on the heart. He directs things to the heart. Jesus teaches to the heart. It's not what comes out of your mouth that defiles. It's not what goes into you. It's what comes out of you and it comes out of the heart. He's always talking about the heart. God wants to strengthen you in the heart. There's a great example of this in scripture when uh, David is being called as the king of Israel. As David is being called the king of Israel, the prophet Samuel comes to the house of Jesse. They're looking over all of the sons that David or that uh, Jesse had. David was the youngest. He was not even actually in the lineup. He was actually out tending the sheep. God tells Samuel to tell Jesse to get all the sons together. We're going to call the next king. He gets all of the sons together. He starts with the oldest, the most handsome, the most, the strongest, the one that's clearly the cho- choice that all of us would pick. And God looks at all of this and God tells the prophet Samuel these words. He says this, but Adonai said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or his stature. That's what we would look at because I've already refused him. For God does not see as a man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but Adonai looks into the heart. That's where God looks. He looks into the heart. God cares about your heart. And if your heart is not right, that's where God is going to address. So make sure your heart is right. Is your heart right? Is your heart where it needs to be or is your heart far from him? Are you doing things that would bring, uh, that would make God unhappy or is your heart following him? It's all about your heart. So Paul starts with, I want you to have inner strength. And where does inner strength come from? It comes from God strengthening your heart. And then he moves on to something incredible. He moves on to the indwelling, uh, indwelling Messiah. What is this? What is the indwelling Messiah? Well, I want you to see the next words that Paul says. I bow my knees before God. Everything comes from him. I pray that he would grant that from his glorious riches, he would grant you to be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit so that Messiah, Jesus, may dwell in your hearts through faith. What is he praying for them? He's praying that not only is he, are they strengthened on the inside, but that Jesus would dwell there in your heart. Well, what is that idea? What is that phrase and what is it talking about? Well, this comes from a Greek word which is called katoikeo. Now, the word katoikeo is two words. It's the word kata and then it's word oikeo. Now, kata means down or down upon. Oikeo means uh, to inhabit a house. Put those two words together, and really what it's saying is this, that Jesus would settle down in your house or your heart. That he would settle down and that he would feel comfortable in your house or your heart. You ever had a guest come over? 
or you've been a guest, I'm sure, you go to a person's house and you have to follow the guidelines of the house. So if they're there, you take shoes off of the house, you take your shoes off. If they, you keep your shoes on, you keep your shoes on. You follow whatever the guideline, you don't just make yourself comfortable in somebody else's house. You don't walk into their house, go to their refrigerator, find something to eat in their refrigerator, go sit in a recliner and put your feet up and uh, start watching whatever you want, take the remote and start watching whatever show. You don't do that in somebody else's house. At least I hope you don't do that in somebody else's house. In your own house, though, you feel perfectly comfortable doing that. In your own house, you come home, you kick off your shoes, you go maybe put pajamas on, you find food to eat, you sit in the recliner, cover up with the blanket, watch things on TV. You rule the roost from that recliner, by the way. That's the throne of the house. And you feel comfortable. For Paul to pray this, I pray that Jesus would dwell He's saying this, I pray that Jesus would feel comfortable in your heart and that he would take up permanent residence. I want to give you a picture of what this means, but the picture comes from a little booklet that was produced in the 1940s by a guy by the name of Robert Boyd Munger. And the little pamphlet, little booklet he produced was this, it was called My Heart Christ's Home. And here's the picture, a drawing that somebody did for this concept. He said this, it's your heart, it's like a house. When you first encounter Jesus, he comes to the door, the front door of the house, and he knocks on the front door of every heart. Every heart, Jesus is knocking. And as he knocks on the door, you have some Options. One option you have as he knocks on the door is you could look through the curtains and then see who's at the front door and then pretend like you're not home. Maybe you hit the floor and you army crawl out of the living room in the hopes that they won't know that I'm home. None of you have ever done that, I'm sure, right? (laughs) That's one choice. Second choice, you could see who's at the door. You could open the door. And you could treat him like he's a salesperson or some cult that is bringing a false message. You could treat him like that. Say thanks, but no thanks. And you just close the door in his face. Or you could open the door and you could say, Jesus, it is so good to see you. I have been waiting for you. Please come in to the house. That's salvation, by the way. When you open the door of your heart to Jesus and you say, Jesus, come in to my house, come into my heart, that's where salvation begins. You are saved by Jesus coming into your life, forgiving you of your sins, having a relationship with you, living within you. And so many of you have done that. If you've never answered the door to Jesus, I want to encourage you today to make this the day because I know he's knocking. And as he knocks on your heart, open the door, let him come in. That's where everything begins. I'm going to make the assumption that many people have already done that. You've opened the door. You've said, Jesus, come into my life. And so Jesus, when he comes into your, into your life, he is there in the living room. In the living room, he's a guest. Like you have been a guest in other people's homes before. And uh, you don't really go beyond the room because you haven't been allowed access 
Again, you ask permission. Can I go use your restroom? Or can I go into this other part of the house? And they will say yes or no. Now, many of us have that room in the house that you never want guests to come into because you've thrown every piece of junk into that room that you could possibly think of. Don't let people go in the basement and see what that's like, especially not the garage. We don't want to show that or the attic. Well, right now, Jesus stays in the living room because that's all the further you've invited him. Come into my life and you could stay in the living room and it'll be great. We'll have a great time together, Jesus. You stay there. I'll come every day. I'll talk with you. We'll have a cup of coffee together. I'll start my day with you. It'll be fantastic. Maybe I'll go to church. Maybe I'll go to a few Bible studies. Just stay in the living room. Stay in your place. We'll compartmentalize you there for a while. And Jesus does that because he hasn't been invited in any other part of the house. And so for a while, you have that great relationship. You get up and you have the coffee with him and do devotions with him. And then after time, you just get too busy. I'm too busy for God. I'm sorry, Jesus, I'm late for work. And you run through the living room and I just, I don't have time for you today. I'll make it up to you later. And that day turns into a week and it turns into a month and it turns into a year. And you keep putting Jesus aside because he's been compartmentalized to the living room. Well, this brings up what Paul says, that Jesus would dwell. So what's the idea? The idea that Paul is saying is, I'm praying for people. They're saved. I know they're saved. He's covered two and a half chapters talking about the fact that they're saved. But he's praying this, that they would let Jesus take up permanent residence and give him access to everything. And so what Paul is praying is this, is that I want you to let Jesus feel comfortable and invite him everywhere. In fact, I don't want you just to invite him everywhere. I want you to sign the title of your house over to him that you're no longer the owner of the structure, but now he is the owner. Would you do that? Would you let me dwell in you, take a permanent residence, feel comfortable, take control of this house? Would you do that? So Paul says, this is what I pray for you. That you don't just compartmentalize Jesus any longer, but you let him feel comfortable in everything. And so what happens? Well, when I finally make the decision to say, Jesus, I surrender all. I want you to have the whole thing. I'm going to sign the title over to you. He then starts going through room by room and working through it. He goes into some of the rooms and he finds things that he doesn't care for. Things that I have boxed up in storage. He says, no, this has got to go. He goes through some of the rooms and he says, this, this is old, outdated 70s stuff. This is paneling on the walls. This is shag carpet. We got to get this out of here. We've got to put new in. And he starts making it into a, a habitation that is appropriate for a king. So he goes through room by room, item by item. And he starts working through the cleansing and the healing process that needs to happen from the inside out. Robert Boyd Munger, in that book that I mentioned, My Heart Christ Home, he, he says this. He says, when I did this and I let Jesus come through the house, Jesus entered with me and he looked around at all the books in the bookcases, the magazines on the table, the pictures on the wall. As I followed his gaze, I became uncomfortable Strangely enough, I had not felt badly about this room before. But now that he was there looking at these things, I was embarrassed 
There were some books on the shelves that his eyes were too pure to look at. On the table were a few magazines a Christian had no business reading. As for the pictures on the walls, which are the thoughts and the imaginations of my mind, some of these things were shameful. See, if you let Jesus have the entire house, are there things that he is going to go through and say, this has got to go? This behavior, this action, this attitude, this, this way of thinking, this is not me, and it has to go. Paul says, I want, I want Jesus to dwell in your hearts. I want him to take up permanent residence. I want him to feel comfortable in your house, not compartmentalized, but owning everything. And that's the stage of sanctification that we need in life to be cleansed, set apart by him, where he goes room by room, item by item, and he goes through and goes to work on the remodeling and the removing and the fixing the things in my life that need to be changed. I believe that that brings us to the point of all of this, and I think that this is where many of us are at. See, many of us have accepted Jesus. If you haven't accepted Jesus, this is the moment. Jesus will stand at the door and knock. Don't reject him. If you keep him out, if you shut the door in his face, or you pretend like you're not home, and you die in that state without Jesus coming into your life, the result of that is hell. And it's a scary thing. Hell is not a party. Hell is not a fun thing. Hell is a, an eternal suffering. So don't wind up there. Ask Jesus into your heart. Open the door. Say, Jesus, come in. Many of us have done that. But I believe where he's at, got us all at now is that there are another large group of people who have compartmentalized Jesus. That's my church side. That's my Jesus side. This is my side. And I'll run the show over here. I'll go to a few Bible studies and I'll, I'll go to worship once in a while when I, can, when I have time. And I'll spend some time with Jesus when I have time. But I'm going to compartmentalize that. And I'm going to run the rest of my life. I think many of us are at that stage where God is pressing upon your heart today to say, would you sign it all to me? Would you give me everything? Would you surrender all that you are to me? Would you sign the title of the house over to me so that I can dwell and I can feel comfortable and I could take a permanent residence? And when I do that, I'm going to do some work that's difficult. It's not fun to go through the remodel process. If you've ever lived through that, you know this is time-consuming. This is, this is kind of a burden uh, to wait until these things. We're, we're doing that in the parking lot right now. You found out that, that we have this... They're trying to get the concrete poured, and snow has not been helpful, and it's a pain to live through that remodel process. But once it's done, it's going to be great. Jesus starts that remodeling process, and it's not fun, it's not comfortable, but the end product is beautiful, beyond ability to comprehend. And that's who God is, and that's where he has many of us today. So today... As we close in prayer, we've looked at a couple of things with intercession. One, inner strength. God wants to strengthen you in your heart. How is he going to strengthen you? Well, Jesus needs to take up permanent settlement. It's time to surrender. It's time to say, Jesus, I'm signing the deed. The whole house is yours. And anytime I get myself in the way, I'm sorry. And I'll try to get out of your way. 
I don't want to be underfoot when you're doing the remodel process. I want to get myself out of the way as much as I can because, Jesus, the whole house is yours. How does this happen? How do, how do we make this happen for all of us? It's a prayer. That's what it is. A moment of prayer where you're saved and you say, Jesus, come into my heart. I'm opening the door to you. That's one moment. A moment of prayer where you are sanctified, where you say, Jesus, come into my, not only come into my heart, but you have it all. Everything is yours. I surrender all to you. And how do I do that? I pray. And I say, Jesus, I want to sign the deed. I want you to have the house. It's all yours. So as we close today in prayer, that's my prayer for you. I, as Paul was doing, am going to pray for you, that he would strengthen you in the inner person, that you would be saved because you've opened the door, and that God would dwell in your hearts and take up permanent settlement and feel at home within you. Let's pray as we close. Father, my hope and my prayer today is that you would do a work in us. I want to pray on behalf of the people that are here and those that are watching that you, number one, would come into our hearts and save us. If there's anyone watching or anyone here that has not been saved, make this the moment. Knock on the door of their heart. Knock on their door, and I hope, Lord, that they will open the door to you and say, Jesus, come into my life. I'm sorry for the mess, but I want you to come into my life. I need you to please to forgive me. I need to be saved. Lord, I pray that that's the first step, that people would answer the door. But now, I believe throughout this entire room and watching again, that there are others who would say, yes, I have accepted Jesus. I have let him into my heart. I have been saved. I know I have been saved, but I've been compartmentalizing Jesus. I've been letting him only stay in the living room and not letting him have everything else. And so today I am ready to say, Jesus, it's all yours. I'm sick of making a mess of things. I'm sick of running the show. I'm sick of what I have been doing Lord, I'm signing the whole heart over to you. The whole house is yours. Here's the title to my heart, Lord. You have control. And if there are others, or if there are some in this room, Lord, that that's their heart, that's their cry, confirm in their hearts that you have done that, that you have taken it all. Doesn't mean life's going to be easy. The remodel time is tough. But Lord, you are gracious and you will bring us where we need to be ultimately. And you will make a beautiful structure out of something that was a mess. Father, thank you for meeting with us today. Thank you for teaching us how to pray, that we can adore you, we can bring our petitions to you, and now we can pray on behalf of others that you would work in them. We love you, God, and we thank you for all that you do in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Next week, we're going to get more into this intercession and close with benediction. I hope you'll join us back then. Have a wonderful week and a wonderful rest of your day. See you next time. Hey, thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. 
If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.